So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 110, I believe. Episode 110, podcast. Here you are. If you came looking for the podcast, you came to the right place. So um, as I'm recording this, uh, we are coming up on next month, the, uh, what, what has been termed by some as the hard Brexit. Um, Theresa May, the former prime minister of the UK, was never really a Brexit fan. But the British public had voted to leave the uh, European Union, and she was not a fan, not a believer, and so she tried to uh, implement a Brexit that was that would arrange for a soft landing. Uh, basically, uh, that soft landing would be uh, working something out with the EU that everybody would be kind of sort of happy with, which is to say. Uh, the British electorate would not be happy with. In other words, the established uh, bureaucrats, the established uh, eurocrats, the established um, uh, people who had burrowed into the woodwork of the, all the positions of power in modern Europe uh, are only going to be happy if the people whose lives they are running are unhappy and it's getting to the point where vice versa. So, um, uh, Theresa May tried to sort of uh, have a deft or a subtle or a nuanced departure that she needed to negotiate. But anything that made uh, the European uh, bureaucrats happy uh, was not going to um, go down and in, in, uh, was not going to be approved by Parliament and, and so on. So uh, Theresa May finally had to give up the fight and step, resigned as uh, prime minister. The Tories, her, um, I, I don't want to say the Tory is the, the Tory party is the conservative party there. It's like the Republicans here. It's ostensibly conservative. It pretends to be conservative. It tries to get votes by being conservative. And genuine conservatives usually don't have anywhere else to go. But as it happened, um, she, she resigned. And in their parliamentary system, their um, they didn't have to have a national election because the the party's still in power if they if they select a new uh, prime minister and the new prime minister that they selected was Boris Johnson. Now, just completely apart, I'm I'm offering this as um, as a, an observer and not as a partisan, not as some any. I'm not a cheerleader. I don't have any um, kind of pom poms in hand for. Uh, Boris Johnson, the man, but it does appear to me that he understands um, he he understands how negotiations work. In other words, he is he has said he was elected with the commitment that uh, he'd be happy to leave the European Union with a deal, a negotiated deal. But if there was no deal, then he was going to leave anyway, and leaving anyway is what. Um, has come to be called the hard Brexit. Now, we're dealing with national economies, the, the economies of, uh, well, an entire continent, basically, uh, the continent of Europe. And, uh, and so you're dealing with millions of people, uh, thousands of companies, uh, lots of politics. And that means no matter what you do, somebody's going to get creamed. <laughs> you know. 
no matter what you do, it's going to be hard for somebody. You can't turn left uh, without doing somebody in. You can't turn right. You can't walk down the street without that being bad for the pickle manufacturers or bad for the wheat growers or bad for, you know, whoever. So uh, you can't address this kind of thing with an anecdotal response. Well, my cousin is in pickle manufacturing and he's saying that this is really terrible. We have to step back and look uh, at the big picture. And I think that uh, the big picture is, is going something like this. Boris Johnson knows that in order to negotiate, you've got to negotiate from a position where the other side needs something from you. When Theresa May was negotiating from a position of please let us go and give us pleasant terms, there was no reason for them to do so. There was no reason for them to, um, uh, to, uh, to work with her. And so they didn't. Uh, Boris Johnson is saying, I'm going to go regardless. And uh, this is my, um, my take as a, uh, as a fan of the Jeffersonian sentiment, that government is best, which governs least. Um, that government gets in the way the least, which governs the least. Uh, what, what's going to happen is many, many sophisticated, educated, erudite, urbane voices are going to predict um, thunder, lightning, and blue ruin if there's a hard Brexit. This is going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. I tell you, it's going to be terrible. And then if it happens that way, I suspect that what you're going to see is an explosion of economic activity in Britain. In other words, you're going to find out that the layers of bureaucracy are not oil for the engine, but are a dead weight in the back of the truck that the engine's, the, the engine's trying to pull. And so consequently, if you, if you just get, got rid of all the European regulations, all the European uh, extras, and just said, well, let's just walk free and, and walk free and, and head down the street with our hands in, the, uh, in our pockets and our hat on the side of our head and whistling, if, if Britain does that, I suspect you're going to see a number, uh, I, I suspect you're going to see a, an economic boom an economic boom in Britain. And that means other countries in the European Union are going to look over it at that and say something like, hey, what? Now, this is, not, um, this is not to say that, uh, that it's going to be sunshine and roses for absolutely everybody. It is to say that when you're dealing with nations and dealing with large economies and dealing with things of this magnitude, you have to step back and look at the big picture. And the big picture is this. The people who were, are running Europe are not friends, are not the friends of the little guy. They're not the friends of the uh, rank and file. I believe the British populace, um, being already semi-detached from Europe already, um, got fed up earlier than others uh, have. But if this works, if the hard Brexit works, if the hard Brexit is um, 
something that if it doesn't end in total disaster, which I'm pretty confident it won't, uh, then a lot of other people are going to start thinking the same way. So we come to our hamartiology section. Uh, this is the place where we're going through the New Testament, looking at uh, the different words, different Greek words uh, that represent different sins. And um, we come to apostasia, apostasia. And this word is used twice in the New Testament. In the first instance, it is of a sin alleged. That's in Acts 21.21, 21, where it is said of Paul that he was teaching Jews to forsake or fall away from Moses. So you, if you look at apostasia, the, um, the English word apostasy is related to this. And apostasy is a falling away. Now, uh, Paul wasn't really uh, teaching uh, people to fall away from Moses. He was, he was preaching and teaching the fulfillment of what Moses uh, uh, prepared the way for and predicted. But he, so he's not teaching a falling away from Moses, but he was most certainly teaching a falling away from uh, a particular way of following Moses. Um, and so uh, that's what upset them. The allegation, however, was that he was, he was encouraging apostasy, uh, a falling away from uh, uh, the way in the law of Moses. In the second instance, uh, Paul is predicting what will happen before the day of Christ arrives. He says it this way, let no man deceive you by any means. This is 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. There it is, a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So the falling away here is a forsaking that is general and visible and will result in the manifestation of the man of sin. From the fact that this man of sin sets himself up to be worshipped in the temple of God, we may infer the nature of the sin, what it, what it was that induced people to fall away. It is a falling away from true worship into a grotesque idolatry. The action of falling need not be horrendous in itself, but in this case it's a falling away from the living God into the final death. It is a fall with no real bottom to it. When you start falling away in the final apostasy, you are, in effect, falling into the bottomless pit. It is the ultimate fall. So, uh, we're continuing with podcast uh, episode 110, and the book I'm reviewing is uh, this time, well, review is not the right word, but the book I'm commending to you is uh, a book by Michael Bull, and the name of the book is Fed by Ravens. What this book is, uh, is a collection of Michael Bull's tweets. Um, he did, this is the second volume of, of them. He, um, uh, he had an earlier volume called Birds of the Air, and this one is Fed by Ravens. As it happens, uh, I uh, wrote the foreword to this book. Um, uh, Michael asked me to write the foreword, and, which I was happy to do because Michael Bull is a pithy and engaging writer. Now. There's a, there's a uh, mixed bag, or, two, or maybe two mixed bags in one sack. I'm, uh, you know what I mean. Um, so Michael Bull has a, uh, a hermeneutic that I, I find, um, um, he has a hermeneutical structuring device, which is more or less 
opaque to me. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what he's uh, getting at when he's uh, often often when he's pointing to some of the larger structuring themes in Scripture. Um, but when it comes to insight at the uh, at the sentence level or the at the tweet level, he is um, he is masterful. The the um, and and it's um, it's the kind of thing where it'd be really hard to to not understand what he's um, getting at. So um, his many of you readers might find his um, his larger expositions of scripture. He's uh, Michael Bull is a graphic designer in Australia, and um, and he writes books of theology on the side. Uh, a number of you might find his um, larger works of, um, uh, of, of theological exposition uh, a bit dense or, rough, you know, how do I understand this? But with the, when you're working through his tweets, uh, it's precisely the opposite. It's right there. It's not, po- it's not possible uh, to misunderstand him uh, when he's um, uh, writing in that form. The other thing is, um, uh, Michael Bull is a um, is a ardent Baptist. I'll, I'm I'm not using the word Baptist in a denominational sense, but a small b Baptist. He's an ardent um, uh, Baptist. Does not believe in paedo baptism at all. Not only does he not believe in it, he um, uh, takes a great deal of umbrage at it. And not only does he take umbrage, whenever he takes umbrage, he also takes shots. So. If you're a Paedo-Baptist, like I am, and uh, you're reading uh, and you get this book, expect to be popped in the mouth a number of times on, on, uh, on your commitment to covenant baptism. And that's the, that's the way it is. But it's, so he feels uh, strongly about it, and I want to say God bless him, you know? I like a man who wakes up in the morning knowing what he, um, what he believes. And uh, despite that, Knowing that he came, he's coming from that uh, corner. I was still happy to write the forward. He is. Um, it's just good. You're gonna, basically, if you read through this book of uh, tweets, fed by ravens, you will find yourself edified, instructed, and amused, um, and and let's be honest, annoyed uh, at various times. And um, and that's what a good book is for. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.